This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Have you ever heard the voice of God in the crackle of a bonfire in the middle of the ocean water, sounding like your grandmama when the fog is getting thick and the birds are chirping? I certainly haven't, but the folks over at Bethel Music seem to think they have, given their release of a song not too long ago called Voice of God with those lyrics. And they get worse, actually. Here are some of the rest of the lyrics. If you listen, you will hear him. Before there were so many noises, I made so many wrong choices voices, listening to other voices, but now I hear the voice of God. Listen to the texture and the tone. Listen, it's the sound that leads you home. Oh, that still small voice, the voice of God. The deaf ear still responds to that sound of his voice. The dead man still gets up from the ground because of his voice. Everything stands at attention when my father speaks, when my daddy speaks. Now, those are some heady claims, especially because there's not one Bible verse or reference to the Bible's authority in that song, and it is the Bible that is God's word through which he speaks. But the bigger tragedy of that song is that its message is utterly mainstream in the church today. In fact, this idea that Christians do and should expect to hear the voice of God directly is pervasive. The question is, is it biblical? We are going to tackle this very important question today with Jim Osmond. He is the teaching pastor at Kootenai Community Church in North Idaho and is out with a fantastic book on this false but growing idea that God speaks personally and directly to us outside of his word. And the book is called God Doesn't Whisper. Jim, it is just wonderful to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. I know Bethel Music isn't really an outlier with this theology as you go through in your book, and I just expounded some of those terrible lyrics, but how widespread would you say this idea is now that God speaks outside of Scripture directly to me today? I think it's incredibly widespread. It's not just Bethel Music and the New Apostolic Reformation teachers and proponents that believe this. This is a this is a way of thinking that has permeated most of the evangelical church today. Uh, most Christians believe that they can hear the still small voice for themselves. In fact, I I critique people in this book, God Doesn't Whisper. I critique people from across the evangelical spectrum. So I'm dealing not only with people in the New Apostolic Reformation, Word of Faith, Charismatic Pentecostal circles, but even in the middle of that, we have people who are kind of in more traditionally cessationist circles. Um, people like uh, that have graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, which has historically been a cessationist seminary. Um, Charles Stanley wrote a book, How to Hear the Voice of God, or How to Listen to God. And this is something that you hear in Baptist churches, in Southern Baptist churches, in a lot of cessationist churches. People who would agree with us that the New Apostolic Reformation is is wacky, it's cuckoo, those are the charismatic fringe, they would, they would agree with us on that assessment, but then they would turn around and say, well, but I'm still, I'm still waiting to hear from the Lord on what I should do for this weekend, or whether I should uh, take this vacation, or whether I should cook the little old lady across the street a batch of cookies. <laughs> they would still wait to hear from God themselves in a still small voice, a, 
a whisper of private revelation. And that means that those who would agree with us about the abuses of the charismatic movement, the difference between them and the charismatic movement, is a difference of degree, not of substance. Yeah, They that- would substantively agree with the New Apostolic Reformation that God speaks in these means. They would just say, well, it's wacky to think that he's speaking through the ocean waves or through the cackling of a bird, but they would still think that God still whispers in their hearts some private revelation and gives special divine guidance in that way. Yeah, you're right about that. And I know that you say in your book, you actually subscribed to this theology for a while. And I'm wondering if you could walk through a little bit of your experience because you understand what it was like to be in that camp of thinking that God has to speak to me directly and I have to have a fleece and I have to hear this still small voice. How did you work your way out of that theology, what you refer to as the hearing the voice of God theology? or HVG? Yeah, when I first got saved, I knew nothing of Scripture. I was very ignorant of the Bible, and I didn't have, I didn't grow up in a, in a church home. So when I went to Bible college, I was exposed in the dormitory to a lot of this theology, and it wasn't necessarily the teaching of the school or the professors that advocated this, but it was other students that I heard use this language. So when I got to the end of my first year of Bible college, I wanted to know what the Lord's will is for me to return back to that second year of college. So I started to pray, and I heard other Bible college students, some of my fellow students, using language like, well, the Lord is leading me back, or the Lord showed me, or the Lord gave me a sign, or, you know, the Lord whispered to my heart, and and I just felt the Lord impress upon my soul that I should come back. And I didn't really receive any kind of indication like that from the Lord, any kind of private whisper. So I started to pray and said, Lord, I need a sign. I would like you to reveal to me what it is that I'm supposed to do in this situation, to come back for a second year or or go pursue other plans. And I heard no whispers, and I started to get, as the school year came to a, a close, I started to get more and more desperate to hear this because I didn't want to make a train wreck out of my life and make a bad decision and end up, you know, doing making the wrong career choice and marrying the wrong woman or missing God's best for me. And I started to get really desperate, and there's nobody on campus who wanted to hear God speak more than me. And I didn't receive any kind of private revelation. I was looking for signs, and I put out fleeces and, you know, <laughs> tried to determine what God's will was by asking Him, you know, if you want me to return back, then, Lord, just make somebody pay uh, semesters of tuition or give me book money or allow this to happen. And I was desperately wanting some sign, some indication of what to do, and I heard nothing from the Lord in those terms. And so that really caused... That really shook me up at the core. I started to even question whether I was saved or whether I was um, even had the Spirit of God in me. Everybody else seemed to hear God, and I, and I didn't. Wow. And and I, I started to question my salvation. I started to question my sanctification and my maturity, and I eventually kind of chalked it up to, well, maybe I haven't been a Christian long enough to hear God's voice, or maybe I just haven't learned this discipline. But it kind of put a seed of doubt. And then over the course of the next several years— um, a series of fortuitous events, basically. We had a, a fourth-year Bible professor in my fourth year who, who basically shattered this whole epistemology of how we know and hear the voice of God outside of Scripture. He, he just kind of made it—he just he, he taught us that God speaks only in Scripture, and he criticized or critiqued all of these other methodologies, all of the things I was trusting in, and that sort of rocked my whole world. Hmm. But I didn't have a positive or a, a positive construct of, of how it is that God speaks, and until I came across um, an audio series by Greg Hochul, Sand Reason, okay. and he has he has an audio series called Decision Making the Will of God, which is named after a book by Gary Friesen yes. by the same title. Yes. And I, so I got that audio series, I got Gary Friesen's book and worked through it, and that helped me to construct, at least in my own mind, really a positive paradigm for evaluating this methodology and this theology. So that was a process that took probably about eight years of my 
of my life to really abandon that old methodology. I started to question it because of what happened to college, but by the time I abandoned it and really felt theologically adept to give an assessment of this. It was it was several years later. Well, that is a really interesting story. And you're right, Gary Friesen's book, Decision Making in the Will of God, is a great book. I read that years ago, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. He does a really great job in that book of explaining uh, the whole theology that we ought to be sticking to, which is the Bible. And, and this is the interesting part about it, Jim, because forever, at least throughout my lifetime, evangelicals have believed the Bible is authoritative, and it's also sufficient, and it's inerrant. And let's go back to the word sufficient. Why are evangelicals falling into this idea that the way God communicates to me is through my spirit and my impressions rather than through his word? Yeah, I, there, is a, there is a dearth in evangelicalism of, of good, solid Bible teaching and Bible preaching. And I think that we have long ago abandoned the, the battle and the belief in the sufficiency of Scripture and the ignorance of Christians and believers concerning the the nature of Scripture, the power of Scripture, I think that is at an all-time high right now. Yeah. Discernment in the Church is at an all-time low, and the, the confidence that Christians place in Scripture is at an all-time low as well. We just, Christians, you can see it in the methodology of most uh, modern Church movements and Church growth philosophies, the confidence that Christians have just in the, the Word of God preached and the Gospel preached in its clarity and simplicity without all of the reliance upon marketing gimmicks and advertising campaigns and special appeals to the flesh and all of the other nonsense that has attached itself to modern evangelicalism, that I think has just undermined Christians' love for and respect of the Word of God and their belief in its sufficiency. Amen. Well said. Well, there's a lot to dive into, including this HVG, Hearing the Voice of God theology that's outlined and refuted in Jim Osmond's book, God Doesn't Whisper. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people. And, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the Word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. It is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. 
You can be the answer to a Christian praying for God's word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10, and a matching grant will double your gift and help us reach our goal to send 1,500 Bibles. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Does God whisper to your soul in the quiet moments? Do you hear him in a bonfire? I don't. I don't. I have a Bible and I revealed uh, to us in the Bible is God's word and God speaks to us through his word. This is something that evangelicals have believed. And for many, many years we have believed it. And yet nowadays we are hearing a different kind of theology. It's the hearing the voice of God theology is my guest, Jim Osmond describes that he is teaching pastor at Kootenai Community Church and author of God Doesn't Whisper. So Jim, let's get into this a little bit. As you mentioned at the outset, it used to be more a charismatic thing, affirming this ongoing personal revelation theology, word of faith, new apostolic reformation proponents, those movements kind of got into that. Now it's been more mainstreamed in evangelicalism, but let's go through a little bit of what it actually holds to. For example, as you mentioned, advocates assert that God is a communicating God, so he will speak to us today just like he did in biblical times. But of course, the way God communicated in biblical times is not the same way that we operate because we have the canon, which is closed. We have the Bible in a way that they didn't have during Bible time. So how do we refute that that assertion? Well, that, that really rests upon the assumption that I need to hear from God outside Scripture. Um, Charles Stanley makes this claim in his book, How to Listen to the Voice of God, or How to Listen to God is the title of that. And he, he says that God is a communicating God, and he's always communicating. It's up to us to tune in and to hear him, to pick up that still small voice and to listen accurately and rightly so that we can we can hear the voice of the shepherd. And so the assumption is that because God is a communicating God, he will communicate today, just like he did way back then. Right, so, right. Almost, almost Charles Stanley, as well as Mark Batterson and others who believe this, they almost assume as if Scripture itself is not the communication of God, that we need something today that is outside of Scripture, that Scripture is not sufficient. And so they would say that we, we need to hear the voice of God so that we could know that he loves us, and, uh, and we, of course, that believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, we would say Scripture itself is, is enough for that. There's nothing that we need to live a life that is God-glorifying and obedient and victorious. There's nothing that we need that is outside of Scripture. It provides everything we need to, to live that God-honoring life. Yeah. Well, right. But you have a lot of these evangelicals. You mentioned Charles Stanley, Beth Moore, Bill Hybels, Priscilla Shire, Henry Blackaby. His book is very popular among evangelicals. But why? I mean, I'm wondering what it is that is driving this theology. If it's not scripture, which scripture does discuss topics like God leading us, God guiding us. And and we, you know, we think of some of those passages in the Psalms and, and whatnot. But this idea that God has to communicate to me outside of scripture in order to guide my life. What is the hole there in that thinking? Why do they believe that when the Bible never commands that? I mean, I I kept thinking about this as I was reading your book. The Bible never commands me when I want a a decision, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm facing this big decision in my life that I have to stop and God commands me to listen for his still small voice and put out a fleece and get an impression. Why? How do they answer that question, if at all, or do they just not deal with that? Well, in some, in some ways they assume it, because what they would say, their argument would be that, yeah, Scripture is good for all of the general principles, but we need specific guidance. So 
Robert Morris, he, he's a, a pastor down in Texas, I think it is. He says in his book, Frequency, that he would never be able to shepherd the Church of God if it weren't for a conversational relationship with God where God speaks to him and gives him specific directions for all of the decisions that he needs to make in pastoral ministry. Wow. Because there's, you know, the, the Bible doesn't tell you which youth pastor to hire. The Bible doesn't tell you whether to build or go to two services. The Bible doesn't tell you on which side of the building to put your parking lot or which ministries to start or which ministries to close down or how to spend that money. There's no specific guidance in Scripture for those decisions. So they think that because that those those specific decisions, those specific details are not spelled out for us in Scripture, that we need something more than Scripture to give us that step-by-step guidance. And people think the same thing in terms of the life that they live every day. The Bible didn't tell me, Jim, which woman to marry, or which city to live in, or which career path to choose, or whether to go to second year Bible college or not. That That information was not in Scripture. And so the assumption is that I need that information in order to make the right decision and obey, the vo- and obey, obey God's will. And I would say you don't need that information to make the right decision and obey God's will. You need what is in Scripture to make a good decision. And relying upon Scripture and Scripture alone, you can make a decision that God will honor, even if the details of what He wants you to do, uh, the, even if the, He has not spelled out those exact details for that particular decision. Yeah, it, I, It's almost an affront to Scripture it is. to say, as, as Robert Morris does, that God has not provided everything he needs in Scripture, pastor or church. As if the principles laid down in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, and the book of James, and, and First Peter, and Acts that deal with eldership and pastors and churches is not sufficient information for him to make every decision that he needs to in reliance upon the wisdom of God and the moral will of God, and to obey Scripture in those decisions. That's an affront to Scripture, really. Well, that's a great point. And not only that, but how in the world could you ever make the claim that Scripture is even special? If God is revealing something to you authoritatively outside of His Word, wouldn't it then make whatever He's telling me just as authoritative as the Bible? <laughs> it, by default, it has to, yeah. That's, the, that's the, logical, the, the logical conclusion of what they're saying. If God speaks, it's authoritative, inerrant, and infallible, and it can't be otherwise. So if God says something to me that's outside of Scripture, how can it be less authoritative, less inerrant, and less um, infallible than what we find in the written Word of God? Well, that's right. That's right. And not only that, but I think of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where it says that test the spirits to make sure they're of God. I mean, is there any testing of spirits going on? It seems to be a very dangerous enterprise in general to say, I'm going to wait for a feeling or an impression, and I'm just going to go with it because that's God. How in the world do we know it's God? Yeah, then, then it just everybody begins to be their own authority, and you claim, you claim authority or you claim revelation, and, and you say that God told me this, and who is anybody else to say, yeah, no, I don't think he did tell you that. Right. Yeah, that's right. So when Christians are expected to hear from God, doesn't that also put a lot of pressure on each individual Christian like you when you were back in college to get that fleece, get that sign, get that still small voice, and then feel like a big failure or feel like God is ignoring you if you don't get it? Yeah, the pressure is incredible because the, the, the belief behind this practice is that God has a specific thing that he wants you to do in this circumstance. And so rather than just plainly tell you what it is that he wants you to do, he's going to lay out a series of breadcrumbs that you have to follow. So it's going to be like a scavenger hunt where you, you take a step and you figure out, okay, is this what God wants? And I think I'm getting the sign right. And then you throw out a fleece to test it. And you have to make sure that the fleece agrees with Scripture. And you have to make sure that Scripture agrees with the Council of Sound Wisdom and maybe your inner impressions. And then you have to have a peace. And there's, there's this complicated construct 
of tests and checks and balances to avoid getting a false positive and to make sure that you have two or three witnesses and that all these sources agree and that everything is lining up before you can make that right decision. And if you get it wrong, if at anywhere along the process you, you misstep and you get it wrong, well, then you're going to miss God's will. Mm-hmm. And, and who's to blame other than you? If you didn't hear the voice right or you didn't quiet your heart enough or you didn't pick up the whispers of the shepherd, you're the only one to blame for that because God, he was trying to get your attention. He was trying to teach you. Yeah. He was trying to tell you, but you just didn't, you know, you just didn't listen. Ugh. You didn't pick it up. You, you didn't, you didn't hear the voice of the shepherd. So man, you, you married the wrong woman. Too bad for you. Now you got the wrong kids. <laughs> Did you take the wrong job? Well, then you're going to have to suffer that for the rest of your life. You made the wrong decision in college about what you should major in. Well, you know, tough luck. You're, you're going to have to endure that. Yeah. And it, it is a crippling burden to put that upon Christians. There is, there is no freedom in this methodology for the Christian who would just long to walk in obedience to the Lord and do what Scripture commands. They, you have to live under this constant burden of of trying to hear, and if you and if you and if you don't think that you might be hearing it correctly, you just you're terrified to make the wrong decision. You know, you've got to get it right, or you could mess up everything for the rest of your life. That that's the that's the paradigm in which this theology, this hearing the voice of God theology flourishes. Yeah, that's really crippling because what if I ate peas for dinner and God really wanted me to have beans? Now I've altered the, the course of my life. How will I ever write that ship again? Right, right. And, and they will say that we only need this special revelation for the big decisions. And, and yet they, they will never apply this to the small decisions. And and yet, as I point out in one of the chapters, who, how are you and I to discern which decisions are big or small? Yeah. Maybe the shirt that I chose to wear to Walmart today was a, was a big decision, that it would result in a witness encounter because of, of some testimony I had written on my shirt or my church logo <laughs> or something, and that person might come to faith in Christ because of a T-shirt that I wore. Yeah. And yet, how many of these teachers will stand in front of their closet and seek God's guidance on what shirt choice they make in the morning? And yet, they have no way of knowing what is a big decision and what is a small one. Yeah, that it's really troubling. And this idea that this is supposed to be a two-way conversation. I sit in my prayer closet, I reach out to the Lord, and I keep quiet waiting for Him to speak to me. What, how do you refute that? I mean, just pastorally, biblically, when you're looking at what the Word of God has to say about itself, again, we come up short in any sort of command that we are to sit in the prayer closet and wait for God yep. to speak to us as if we're some kind of Old Testament prophet. That's, that's just not in Scripture anywhere. No, it's not. The, the the writers of Scripture never direct us anywhere but to the written Word of God for direction and for guidance, ever. And so, if somebody said that to me, I would say you are you are waiting on the wrong thing. God has not commanded you to sit and to wait silently to hear His voice in a private revelation. There's nothing in Scripture that would indicate to you that God is going to speak to you in that way. He has not promised to do so. And there's and you are assuming that this is necessary and that you can expect it. And there's nothing in Scripture that teaches that. God has nothing to say to you that you need to hear that is not already contained in Scripture. So if you're wanting to hear from God, you need to start reading and studying the Bible on your issue to find out what God has revealed concerning the decision you need to make, and then you need to make it. Well, right. And trust in the providence of God to work out the details of that. Right. You're exactly right. Now, now, of course, there are many objections, and I know you address a number of these in your book. People will say, well, wait a minute. We are supposed to be guided by the Lord. We're supposed to ask the Lord to answer our prayers. We're supposed to seek his wisdom. These are things that the Bible does talk about. And if I go into my prayer closet and I ask the Lord for some guidance, then how in the world does God answer my prayer if you're taking off the table this idea that he doesn't whisper? Now, these are really important things. We are talking to Pastor Jim Osmond. God doesn't whisper on Janet Meffer today. 
This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, I'm really thrilled about this book, God Doesn't Whisper. Great book, because I think it absolutely nails what we need to hear right now in evangelicalism pertaining to God speaking to me directly and personally outside of the canon of Scripture. This is such an important thing for us to get right. Pastor Jim Osmond is with us, and the name of his book is God Doesn't Whisper. Jim, of course, when we're talking about guidance from God and leading from God, I think of verses in the Bible that uh, you know address this issue. Psalm 31.3, for example, says, for you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. What about the Christian who says to you, but wait a minute, Jim, I am praying. I want guidance on whether or not I should get married to this guy I'm dating, or I, I need guidance on a job. How does God guide me if not the way that all of these people who say God whispers tell me that he answers my prayer? How does he answer my prayers correctly according to the way that you see it? Well, I, I think that the answer to that question is far simpler than most people want to admit or just accept. And the answer that I give to that is this. Within the moral will of God and the wisdom that God provides in Scripture, we are free to make whatever decision we want with God's blessing. Yep. Meaning that when I approach a, a situation or circumstance where I have to make a decision, I take the moral principles lay, outlined in God's will that direct my steps because He has, he has clearly revealed who He is and what His moral qualifications are, what is right and what is wrong. And then I apply wisdom to that situation, and the wisdom provided in the Proverbs, the wisdom provided in the teachings, the narrative, the examples of Scripture that I get from understanding the Word of God and rightly rightly um, handling it as it is the Word of Truth. And when I, within the confines of that, those parameters, the moral will of God and His wisdom, I'm free to make any decision within those parameters, as long as I'm not violating Scripture, I'm free to make any decision and trust God for the outcome of that, and to do so with His blessing. So if I have a choice between two job opportunities that I that come up, I would apply the moral will of God and say, does either of these job opportunities require me to violate any of the clear commands of Scripture? And if not, then I would apply wisdom and say, "Does is there anything foolish about either one of these job choices or these career opportunities? And if not, and they still have those two options available to me, then I would ask myself, which one of these do I feel most inclined to do? Which one do I, I want to do? And if I want to do something, that's not necessarily a, an indication that God doesn't want me to do it. He doesn't necessarily want me to be miserable. He may, in fact, be inclining my heart to the very thing that He would desire for me to choose. And, and then I'm free to choose either one of these options with God's blessing and then trust in His providence to work out the details of that. Yeah. We're assuming that God has to indicate, well, I want you to take the job in St. Louis as opposed to the job in Seattle. <laughs> And why would you assume that God has a preference over which one of those jobs that you take when it would be better to assume that no matter which one of those jobs I take, God is going to work out His plan for me. He already knows ahead of time which one I'm going to do. So when I make that choice, then God, I trust in His sovereignty and His providence to work that out for my good and to direct my steps accordingly. And so then we have the freedom to make that choice and to trust God for the outcome. Of course, we pray for wisdom. We pray for the illumination in our hearts and our minds so that we can rightly understand Scripture. And we pray that God would, would prevent us from doing anything that is, um, that is immoral or wrong, or even that He might take options off the table if it's not His will. 
But then when we comes down to crunch time and we have to make a choice, we are free to make either choice without expecting that God is going to punish us for not listening to his voice and and waiting on some whisper before we make that choice. That's really well said. Yeah, and you think about it, the longer I go in my life, sometimes when I'm making a choice that turned out to be a disaster but was never outside of God's moral will, that was a good direction for me to go as a Christian, even though it was a disaster. This is not what you think about when you're looking for the still small voice or the whisper. You're looking for a perfect life. I think that's what characterizes, to me, a lot of people who are seeking God's voice and everything. I want to make the perfect decision before I make it. And that's not how life is. Like you said, we have to trust in God's providence, whether or not we make a great decision or a good decision that goes bad. Things go wrong in life because we're living in a sinful world. We can't freak out just because we didn't make a perfect decision at the outset. There is no such thing. No, there's not. And, And you and I can trust that even if we make a decision where bad things might happen as a result of that decision, Maybe we take the job offer and we get there and it's not always cracked up to be. And then we find that we can't sell the house that we have once we get there and we have to endure and do something else. Do we not trust that God is able to use all of that affliction or the things that he has appointed for us to sanctify us and to accomplish his purposes? Amen. Of course, we have to be able to trust him to do that. And and the decision that I made at college, I mean, to, to put a sort of a tie a bow on, on that story that we began with a couple of moments ago, the decision that I made was to go back to second year of college. I'd made that decision without ever hearing a whisper, a still small voice, getting a prompting, a nudging, seeing a sign or anything like that. I had no private revelation. I ended up making the decision that I really wanted to do. During that first year of college, the Lord lit in me a hunger and a thirst for theology and truth and knowledge that I'd never experienced before. And all of my desires to go pursue a secular career, they just they just went away. Hmm. And at the end of the day, I, I just said, you know, I really desire to do this. I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. I just need truth. I want to understand theology. So I went back for a second year and a third year. Then my wife and I got married, and I went back for a fourth year. Now, in retrospect, all of those decisions I made without any ever hearing the voice of God, but I believe that God accomplished His purposes, and even without me hearing any voice— I made decisions that honored him, and there were difficulties along the way, a lot of difficulties that stretched me and developed me, but I have no doubt that uh, that God was guiding my steps all the way along the line, but I see that in retrospect. I didn't know that ahead of time which decision was the best decision. I ended up doing what I wanted to do, and now looking back on it, I realized I made the decision inside the parameters of God's moral will and his blessing. I made that decision according to what I really wanted to do. It was nothing unwise about either choice. There was nothing immoral about either choice. And so I made a decision, and God has blessed it, and it it has worked out well, even though there were difficulties along the way. And there certainly would have been, regardless of which decision I would have made. That's right. So what are we to make of the still small voice? If we go back to passages in the Old Testament, for example, about Elijah, people really do believe God has a still small voice that will speak to them or God will give me a sign or God will, I'll feel led to do something. What do we say to those sorts of statements that sometimes come out of Christians' mouths and, and they're just as authoritative as, as if they were reading a Bible verse to those people? Yeah, the still small voice is kind of a catch-all phrase that many in the hearing the voice of God movement Uh, use. And it can mean anything from uh, an audible voice that the Lord whispers inside of your cranium to a nudging, a prompting, a a hunch, an intuition, some strong feeling that you have, a peace in your heart. It's just kind of this 
anything that you want to attach the phrase, the Lord told me to, that becomes the still small voice. Hmm. And of course, most of our listeners will be familiar with that phrase because it comes from the King James translation in 1 Kings 19, verse 12, where Elijah was inside the cave after his confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And the Lord, even in his depression, the Lord was revealing to Elijah that he was not in the supernatural displays of his power, the, the earthquake, the fire, the wind, etc. And then it says that Elijah heard something like a still small voice, and other translations translate it variously as the sound of a gentle breeze or a blowing wind or a still silence. Whatever it was, it drew Elijah out of the cave. It wasn't something inside of his head or inside of his heart, because he walked outside of the cave to have a, an interaction with the Lord as a prophet, not as your average, you know, Joe Blow believer, but <laughs> as a prophet, he walked outside and had a conversation with the Lord, and it was not through fleeces and promptings and nudgings and impressions. It was a verbal conversation where the prophet spoke to the Lord and the Lord spoke to his prophet. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, and Elijah understood what the Lord was saying. It was clear. He understood who was saying it, and there was no need to interpret it or trying to try to discern an impression or a feeling or a nudging. That still small voice is a very unfortunate translation because it really was a still, it was like a silence that, that Elijah heard or a stillness outside of the cave, and it drew him out of the cave. If the still small voice was a prompting or a pressure or something inside of him, he would have been able to sit inside the cave and hear it. Yeah. And he could have just reflected upon his own musings in his mind and said, oh, the voice of God is coming to me. I, I hear it in the, in the still whisper inside my heart. But that's not what Elijah heard. He, 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 he heard nothing interior to him. He had to go outside the cave in order to hear what was going on. That's when the Lord spoke to him. Okay. And it was audible and it was clear, which is entirely different than what people promote when they use the phrase, the still small voice. Uh, we are talking with Pastor Jim Osmond about his book, God Doesn't Whisper. You are listening to Janet Mefford today, and we will be right back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back. Thank you so much for being here. And we are really delighted that Jim Osmond could be with us. His book is called God Doesn't Whisper. And if you've put pressure on yourself to hear God's still small voice to directly and personally speak to you to reveal his personal will for your life and you've come up short, well, you're going to want to listen to the rest of this hour because it's very important we understand God speaks through his word. You are not an Old Testament prophet and yet God does guide us and God does lead us through his word. And Jim makes that case just brilliantly in his book, God Doesn't Whisper. Jim, one of the things that really struck me that I think is so important for people to understand is you did tie this HVG, this hearing the voice of God theology that we even see in people like Charles Stanley, Beth Moore, Henry Blackaby, Bill Hybel, some of these people in evangelicalism. You tie this to Gnosticism, and I'm so glad that you do because that's kind of where the church is headed, it seems, in a lot of different ways. Can you explain why there is that connection between this kind of theology and the Gnostic heresy? Yeah, this theology creates within the church two classes of people, those who are hearing the voice of God and those who are not. And there is this dichotomy between these two classes. And what uh, what the HBG theology creates is a group of people who, because they have acquired some skill, some ability, or they have disciplined themselves, or have, they have learned the ability, or they've figured out the, the formula for doing this, they're able to get some sort of a secret knowledge that is not available to you and I they can get a secret knowledge of, of what God really wants for them and for others, and, and they're kind of the, the elite. They've got, they've got an, in, an inside scoop on God's will that the rest of us who don't hear the voice of God don't have, and that is the very essence and definition of Gnosticism, the idea that there is a gnosis, there is an ability to know things that are not available to everybody. Whereas if, if we just understand that Scripture speaks and that all of us have access to the same 66 books the same revelation in the same language, our understanding of Scripture is the same. The, sa- the same moral principles and guidance that are offered to you in Scripture are offered to me in Scripture. Yeah. And it's all available there. We just have to read it and, and study it and understand it, and it's, it's all there. The plain things are the, are the main things. It's all right out on the, on the pages of Scripture, and it's accessible to all of us. No special formula needed, no special being inducted into the the elite members who can hear the voice of the shepherd and get the private whispers none of that is necessary at all so that's how it's that's how this theology is very similar to the gnostic idea of um of a special elite who have access to to knowledge and information 
gleaned or gained directly from God that's not available to everybody else. Right. So when somebody says to you, as I'm sure many people in the audience will be hearing this and, and having objections and saying, but there was that time that God led me. There was that time that I had an impression and it was the right thing. What do I do with that experience, Jim? How should I interpret that in light of what you're saying? Well, it, we all have experiences and I don't deny that we have experiences, but Many people have all kinds of experiences, and that doesn't mean that you and I are obligated to exegete those experiences or even to explain Scripture in light of the experiences. We should be seeking to explain our experience in light of Scripture. And so we have to come back to these assumptions and this theology. And and if Scripture does not teach that we need to hear from God and we should expect to hear from God and that we can learn to hear from God outside Scripture, then it doesn't matter what I have experienced to the contrary— I shouldn't be trying to impose my experience upon the paradigm of Scripture and make Scripture conform to that. There are unbelievers who have these experiences where they hear some intuition or get a hunch or an impression or or something just doesn't sit right, and and so they make a decision or they do something and it turns out great. This happens to unbelievers all the time. That in itself should be evidence that this is not the voice of God, because those teachers in the Hearing the Voice of God movement they will say that you as a Christian need to set aside all the distractions, and you need to have a close walk with the Lord. You need to know His Word, be reading it, be meditating it, and be drawing near to Him, and, and really sup- and tr- trying as best you can to, to hear His whispers and tune into His frequency and, and get on the same wavelength as God, and then you'll hear these impressions. Well, then I'm, then I'm supposed to believe that the same experiences are being had by people who are atheists and agnostics and... Mormons and Catholics and, and have horrible theology that they're having these experiences too. Yeah. If they're having those experiences, they're not the voice of God. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really great point. And there's such inherent dangers here. We touched on some of them earlier, but Jim, just biblically speaking, what are the dangers for a Christian in falling into this theology when you're looking at the kind of bad fruit that this tree produces? One of the dangers is I think it is a distraction. I think it distracts people from the Word of God itself, because rather than going to Scripture and saying, okay, what does God's Word say about this? I need to make sure that my hermeneutics are good and right and sound and proper so that I'm interpreting Scripture in its context and I'm not taking verses out of context and misapplying them. Rather than doing all of that hard work of really getting to know the Word of God and the intended meaning of the text, instead people would just be inclined to wait for God to reveal to them some some secret revelation to answer their question. So in the choice of, you know, what type of a woman should I be looking for to marry— well, why would I go and study 1 Corinthians 7 and study the Proverbs and study what Scripture says about marriage and women and relationships? Why would I try and learn all of that if I can just wait for the Lord to sort of drop a hint in front of me when she walks across the crosswalk in front of my car or, or whispers her name in my heart when I'm walking through church someday? Why would I go through all the effort of really knowing God's Word and, and trying to apply that to my life if the Lord is just going to give me a shortcut, exper- a shortcut experience or a shortcut revelation to answer my question. Not only that, That's but a huge it, danger. it is a huge danger. You're so right about that. But I, I was going to say what also strikes me about it all is how me-centered it all is. You know, God's purpose is to drop women, you know, if you're a guy in front of you, you know, in order to get married or a guy in front of a girl. And God's job is to reveal to me in my prayer closet what the perfect job is for me. Is this not kind of a hermeneutic of me, me, me in the end? It's all about me. Yeah, I think it is. And I, I'm not sure where I heard this. So if I'm not giving credit, I, I apologize to whoever first said this. It, it may have been Greg Kokel, but 
um, it, it is almost as if Christians today are wanting God's plan for their life rather than their life for God's plan. Amen. And I think we have that entirely backwards. We're, we're more concerned with what can I do, what decision can I make that will benefit me, bless me, and cause everything to work out well for me, rather than what does God want me to do, and I'm just going to give my life for His purposes. And and that's entirely backward. It's a very narcissistic culture in which we live, and it has affected the church so much so that they they can't read scripture without uh, without finding themselves in it. It's, it's I, a friend of mine calls it narcissus, where they just they read scripture and they, they they read themselves into every text. You know, they're David with the five smooth stones. They're they're Elijah here in the still small voice. They're Paul being led by promptings and impressions. They're they're everywhere in the pages of scripture. It, it is a very it is a very selfish and me-centered uh, hermeneutic. Yeah, narcissus is awesome. And yet 2 Timothy 3 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, we're back to the sufficiency of scripture. Scripture itself testifies there is nothing outside scripture that you need. Everything that you need that's in scripture is there and it will make you complete as a Christian. How do we drive that message home? Uh, I think the way to drive that message home starts with church leadership. And unfortunately, the leadership in the church in America does not impress this upon their people, either in the methodology of preaching or the philosophy of church ministry, or just even in the way that the text of Scripture is handled from behind the pulpit in most evangelical churches today. Most evangelical churches today read a passage of Scripture, and then and then it's a wandering, meandering kind of uh, walk through whatever the preacher wants to talk about that day that has nothing to do with the text itself. And we need to recover in our churches a high and, and lofty view of the Word of God where it is preached and the intended meaning of the text is adequately and accurately proclaimed each and every Sunday, verse by verse, working our way through Scripture in a systematic fashion, rather than sort of henpecking verses here and there and trying to draw application out of them that are, are, are relevant for the moment or relevant for the particular instant that we're in in our culture. And and that, I think, is how we have to drive that home and, and constantly be returning ourselves and reforming ourselves back to this standard of Scripture. And asking ourselves when we read Scripture, not what verse can I just sort of pluck out and that sort of speaks and warms my heart today, but asking ourselves, am I rightly handling the Word of Truth as it is? Am I understanding the, the author's intended meaning, the Holy Spirit's intended meaning, and the meaning that the original audience would have understood in this passage of Scripture? We need to be men and women who know the Word of God and love the Word of God, and we accurately handle it every moment of every day and everything that we do with Scripture, because it, it is a very serious thing to say, the Lord told me, or the Lord says. We don't want to misrepresent Him, and whether we're using Scripture passages to do that or whether we're just talking about what we think impression God gave us in the moment, we say, well, the Lord is just speaking, He's saying this. That's a serious thing. That Nobody listening to us right now wants to be misrepresented. Nobody likes for other people to say, well, you know, Janet said this, and I heard her say this, and, and you would be horrified if you didn't actually say that. You might say, well, I, I never said that. I never would have said something like that. Right. We don't like it when other people misrepresent what we say, and I don't think God is pleased when we misrepresent what he says. That is such an important point. Boy, is this a great book. Highly, highly recommend it. God Doesn't Whisper by Jim Osmond, who is teaching pastor at Kootenai Community Church in Idaho. And I just want to thank you, Jim, for writing this book, because it is so great, and it was just just a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very, very much for being with us. Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Oh, really appreciate you, Jim. God Doesn't Whisper. You need to read it. It's a fantastic book. Thank you for being with us on Janet Mefford today. Always a pleasure to have you here. And God willing, we'll see you next time.
Take care. This hour of Janet Meffer today has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa. $5 sends one Bible and a matching grant will double your gift. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.